The following audio is from Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas. Our mission, to love God, love others, and make disciples. For more information about fellowship, visit fellowshiptx.org. Amen. We're going to be this morning in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one there in front of you. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. you're new here, if you haven't been here in the past few weeks, we've been walking through the book of 1 Peter uh, for several weeks now. And each week we've talked about Peter's purpose in writing this letter, and I've been saying over and over again that it's important that we keep reminding ourselves of Peter's purpose in writing this letter because context is important. If we take things out of context, we can totally mess it up, and, and that's why it's so important that we uh, tether ourselves to the context of Scripture. And so each week I want to remind us of this purpose. First Peter 5.12, uh, says, he says, I've written you briefly in order to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God, so stand firm in it. So remember the persecution these Christians are enduring. Week one, we kind of talked about that. We uh, started unpacking that. Uh, these Christians are facing persecution, um, and there's a state-sanctioned persecution that's on the horizon under the Roman Emperor Nero. This is, this is what's coming up next for these Christians, where Rome uh, has a state-sanctioned state persecution that they start uh, involving themselves in. So this is the context in which Peter says, stand firm in the gospel, stand firm in the true grace of God. This is the context in which he writes this book. And as we go through the book of 1 Peter, we'll realize that he doesn't just mean stand firm in our intellectual understanding that Jesus is God. That's not what he's telling these people, but to stand firm in the reality that this true grace of God changes everything about us. And this is an important distinction because the first one might get you to church on occasion, but the second will empower you to live in Christ-centered community. The first may modify your behavior, but the second will change your heart's desires and affections. The first may get you to pray over your dinner on occasion, but the second will empower you to walk in true communion with the Father. Do you see the difference here? One is religious, just following this Christianity because it feels like it might be the right thing. The other is surrendering to the God that created this universe and making him the Lord of your life. What we're talking about here is a radical shift in identity and worldview. So week one, we talked about the living hope. We said your salvation is from God and for God, and our hope is completely in him. So as these, again, keep everything in context, as these Christians are enduring persecution or about to endure way worse persecution, Peter is saying, hey, remember the salvation that you have. Remember that your salvation is from God, it's for God, and put your hope in that reality. Because all the other stuff in this world is gonna fade away. There is nothing else that's strong enough to be able to withstand the trials of life. You can't put your hope in anything else because it can't handle that. In the week two, he talked about real faith. Real faith leads to real change. That if we're going to endure as believers through the persecution that is coming, faith must be real. It must be genuine. And then week three, we talked about the appropriate response to that salvation. 
That salvation isn't a one and done event. It's an ongoing work of the Spirit inside of you. The Holy Spirit is sanctifying you day by day. And our appropriate response to our salvation is to surrender to the Spirit's work in our lives daily. That's the appropriate response to your salvation is to live and walk in the Spirit and allow Him to mold and shape you into the person that He wants you to be. In the week four, last week we talked about growing up in Christian maturity. We said that living out the appropriate response to our salvation is the epitome of Christian maturity and the church as a whole is just not, not there with this. And we need to grow to know what to consume, which is the word. We need to grow to know what we're supposed to be doing and grow to know who we are. And so I think it's important that we just pause for a second and kind of focus back on what Peter has set up to this point as a whole. He reminds the readers of their salvation. He reminds them that salvation is by faith alone and that faith bears fruit. He reminds them that the spirit of the living God is at work in their lives, sanctifying and changing them. And he reminds them that spiritual maturity is necessary to stand firm and live out the incredibly challenging words that he writes next. So let me start off with a warning. Can't say I didn't warn you. Some of what we're going to talk about this morning is not going to be a popular message. Okay, let me just pre-warn you with that. I'm willing to bet that this message is going to get a few less amens than normal. It's probably going to get a few less Facebook shares than normal. But I've always tried to shoot it straight with you. Right? That's, that's kind of been something that I've committed to in my own heart, is just to tell you like it is. I don't try to sugarcoat it. I don't try to hold back. I just tell you what the book says. That's, that's my job. I view myself as a steward of the Word of God, and even when I, before I come up on the stage, I'm praying to God, keep that in my mind, keep that in my heart, that my role here is to be a steward of the Word of God. That's my only job, to steward the Word of God. And some of you, Uh, are not going to like what the book says today. But I'm going to tell it to you anyway because I love you. And because I think it's important that even when we don't like what it says, that we submit ourselves to it and surrender ourselves to it. And so some of you are going to disagree with me. And if that's the case, that's that's Okay. You should run to the book and formulate your own opinions and understanding of what it says. But what I do, I want to challenge you, is that as we go through this text together, if you start to disagree, I challenge you to disagree based on what the book says and not what your own heart or feelings say. Jeremiah 17, 9 says this, The heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand that? And so I... <laughs> I preached a few weeks ago a sermon that said, don't follow your heart. And I think for a lot of us who are more conservative and more uh, conservative in our understanding of scripture, we're like, yes, I'm all about that. Don't give in to your feelings. We're all about that, right? But, but the truth is we're all guilty of that. So we may not be as flighty as the people that we're like, well, I'm not like those people, but we do respond with emotion a lot of times. Even those of us who would consider ourselves to be more conservative in our theology. We tend to see things through a certain lens based on our upbringing and culture. And I want to challenge you to see things through the lens of the gospel. Don't let your own personal biases ruin truth for you. Be sure that your 
understanding of reality is tethered to this book. This is truth. That's what we believe. This is what we believe as a church, that this is the word of God. It is inerrant and it is true. So, now that I have you all on the edge of your seat, wondering what could be so uncomfortable and hard to hear, let's, let's read it together, all right? First Peter chapter 2, verse 11, here's what it says. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day that he visits. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, whether to the emperor as supreme authority or to governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good. For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone. Love the brothers and sisters. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So what's Peter talking about here? He's talking about living a godly life. He's describing to us what it looks like to live a godly life, what it looks like to walk in holiness, what it really looks like to be a Christian. So what are the aspects of this godly life that Peter talks about? Let's look at it together. First of all, he says, he talks about our godly identity. Look at verse 11. He says, dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles. He says, dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles. Uh, When I was in high school, I got to go my very first like out of the South trip to somewhere else to really see another culture, right? Because if you go to, you know, Georgia, Alabama, even into Florida, it's pretty much the same stuff, right? And my whole life up until this point, my senior year, I had never really made it outside of the South for the most part. So we traveled to Washington, D.C. I was in this club in school, this like uh, work program, kind of like future entrepreneurs of America kind of club. And I was a chaplain in this club. And because I was an officer in the club, the school paid for us to go to Washington, D.C. to this leadership conference. And this is the first time, again, that I have ever been anywhere out of my own little southern bubble. So I get there and we go to this burger place, our very first restaurant we go to. We go to this little burger place. Everybody sits down and they start ordering. And I ordered a burger and some fries. The food comes out. I ate the fries and I was like, this is basically just a potato and there's nothing on it. So being a good old Southeast Texas boy, I was like, hey, can I get some Tony Shacheries? And they were like, say what? And in that moment, I realized I'm not home anymore. These are not my people. Like, they don't, they don't eat food like I eat food. They don't know the things that I know. They didn't have sweet tea. I mean, what are we doing, right? What are we doing in life? I, don't, I, I would never be able to move somewhere else because of the food. I mean, they don't have tacos like we have tacos. They don't have spicy, good Cajun food like we have. And in that moment, I realized these, these aren't my people. Like, they don't even understand the words that are coming out of my mouth, right? They don't even understand what Tony Shacheries is. Like, what, what are we doing? And uh, it, it, was, it was then that I realized I wasn't home anymore. I wasn't um, among my people. And Peter's saying just that. This is not our home. We are strangers and exiles in this culture. This, this morning, if you're a Christian, if you've given your life to Christ, he's made you a new creation. And at this point in time, this is not your home. These worldly people around us are not your people. We love them. We share the gospel with them, but they are not like us. They are not 
they don't have the same priorities as us. They don't have the same goals and vision as us because our life has been radically changed by the gospel. So we are strangers and exiles here. This is not our home. We used to be strangers of heaven, but by God's grace through our faith, we are grafted into the household of God. So now we're strangers and exiles in this world. This is no longer our home. Paul talks about this as well. And we read the same verse last week, Ephesians 2, verse 18. It says, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. So if your faith is real, then you are a citizen with the saints, a member of God's household. And listen to me this morning, that is your identity. It's so important that we understand that. That's your identity. Paul talks about this as well when he writes to the Philippians, Philippians 3.20. Our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly wait for a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Your citizenship is in heaven. Your identity is in that. We eagerly wait for Christ to return because that's our identity. That's where our hope is. That is who we are as a people. Every time I go on vacation, the idea of going on vacation is awesome. Like, I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited to go on vacation. I'm excited to go somewhere. As soon as we pull out of the driveway, I'm like, I'm ready to go home. This was fun. We should go back home. I like to be home. I'm a homebody, right? There's just something about being home. When you're at home, there's like the comforts of like your reality. You, you, feel, you just feel like this is my place. This is, my, this is where I belong, right? Maybe you can relate. That's the idea here. This is not our home. This world, this culture that we live in should never be the place where we feel at peace, right? Our peace is in heaven. Our peace is in the reality of what's to come, not in the present. We eagerly await our time to leave this place and truly to be home in the presence of our God. And this is such an important truth to understand because it changes our identities. We're not Americans first, we're citizens of heaven. We're not conservatives or liberals first, we are citizens of heaven. Being a citizen of heaven shapes everything about who you are. Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Don't get wrapped up in the arguments and divisions of this age. Be transformed by renewing your mind. This is not your home. This is not your people. This is not a place for you to feel like you belong because you don't belong here. You belong in heaven. And there's a reason why Peter starts with this reminder of our identity. This is, this is really important for us to understand because if we identify as anything else over citizen of heaven, we'll never be able to live out what Peter is really asking us to do in the following verses. If you don't start with this, if you don't get this identity part right, then the next part is going to be like, man, I can't, that's crazy, I can't do that. You'll never be able to do, do what he tells us to do in the coming verses if you don't get this identity part right. If your identity is anything else other than Christ, the next part will never make sense. So if your patriotism takes priority over your identity as a citizen of heaven, you have an idolatry problem. And hear me out. It's okay to be patriotic. I love America. I'm incredibly grateful for the freedoms that we have. What I'm talking about is identity. If your identity is in your politics, you have an idolatry problem. 
Peter says, we are strangers and exiles. This is not our home. This is not our identity. You are a child of the king. That's your identity. We're citizens of heaven. That's your identity. That's what we live for. We live for the kingdom of heaven, not the governments of man. He goes on, he talks about the godly fight in verse 11, the second part of verse 11. He says, as strangers and exiles, that's your identity. Because that's your identity, abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. A few years ago, this prank thing started coming across the internet where you get like a wooden spoon and you put it in your mouth and you hit the person in front of you, top of their head, y'all seen that video? And then really what's going on is someone behind the person has a spoon and is knocking the snot out of their head and the person can't figure out like, why is, why is this happening? How is he doing it so hard and I can't hit him that hard? And it's really baffling. So of course, as soon as I saw that prank, I thought I've got to do this to my kids. And, uh, and so I got Carter and Jackson, who are our oldest two, because at that point probably would have been on the line of child abuse if I would have done it to the younger two. Uh, but with the older two, I got Carter and Jackson, and uh, we decided we were going to play the prank on Carter. And uh, so I'm sitting behind Carter, and uh, he puts the spoon in his mouth, and he hits the top of Jackson's head, and of course it doesn't hurt. And then he bends his head down, and Jackson goes up, and I just knocked him on the top of the head. And he's like, oh my gosh, how did you do that so hard? And we, I mean, he like never figured it out. I was starting to think like he's, he's going to like get some screws loose if we don't stop him hitting him too much. And, and we just kept, it just kept going back and forth, back and forth. And he just never realized who was actually hitting him. We were hitting him over and over and over again. And all the while he's thinking that Jackson is the enemy. He's thinking that Jackson's the one that's doing that to him. And I'm behind him doing it to him the whole time. And a lot of times it's like that for Christians. We have no idea who the enemy is and we're fighting all the wrong things. Peter says, it's your sinful desires that are waging war against your soul. That's the enemy. It's not all of these external things that we think are our enemies in our culture. No, your enemy as a believer is your own sinful desires. It's your own heart. It's your own heart that's fighting against you. You're declaring war on everything else out there. But Peter says, no, it's your own desires that you should be warring against. Set your focus on that. Stop worrying about all these external things that are happening around us and start worrying about the sin in your own heart. Peter says to abstain from those sinful desires. Paul talks about this as well in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. He says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. So Peter says, don't carry out the desires of your flesh. Well, Paul tells us, here's the remedy for that. Walk by the Spirit. And then he tells us, what is it? What do the flesh, what do those really look like? He says, for the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what's against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Now, <laughs> that word obvious is important. We know what the works of the flesh are. Sometimes we like to pretend like we don't know, but we know what the works of the flesh are. They're obvious, but he lists them anyway. Sexual immorality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. And he says, I'm warning you. I'm warning you. This is an important thing that we should catch on. He says, I'm warning you about these things as I warned you before that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul says that the spirit and the flesh will always be at war with each other. 
That's the life of the Christian. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, but you also have your flesh. They're always waging war against each other. And so you can't participate in these works of the flesh and not feel conviction if you're truly saved. If you're truly saved and you start participating in the works of the flesh, the Holy Spirit's going to be screaming inside of you saying, this is sin, you're not supposed to be doing this. This is not who you are. Your identity is not in these things. You've been changed. This is, this is the point of the Spirit inside of us. This is how he sanctifies you. He convicts you of sin so you can't walk in the things of the flesh and still be a Christian without some sort of conviction. If the Spirit is warring against your flesh... If, if the Spirit is not warring against your flesh, then you don't have the Spirit and you're not really saved. If we want the Spirit to overcome the flesh, then we've got to walk by the Spirit. We've got to give priority to spiritual things, not worldly things. What is, what is the point here? Our conduct matters. Our holiness matters. Why? Because Peter says the world is going to slander you as an evildoer. If you're a Christian this morning, the world is going to slander you as an evildoer. We're already seeing that, right? They're flipping the script. They're calling good bad and calling bad good, right? The, the, the script gets flipped. And when they do, holiness enables you to arise above it with your conduct. And what kind of conduct? What does he mean by that? Well, Paul goes on in Galatians in 5.22. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We've gotten rid of that. We've killed that. And we live by the Spirit. Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So our conduct should be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. So when all these complications and trials and persecutions come, we don't respond like the world. We don't, we don't return evil for evil. We, re we respond with the fruit of the Spirit. We respond with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. That's what it looks like to be a Christian. Peter's saying when someone attacks you, you respond differently than the world. Rather than returning evil for evil, you respond with the fruit of the Spirit and forgiveness. Why? Because that's radically different than the approach that the rest of the world lives by. And when we live with that radically different approach, we will point people to Jesus. It speaks to the power of the gospel. It proves there's real power in the gospel because there's no other explanation for someone to respond to persecution with the fruit of the Spirit. It makes no sense, right? Someone punches you in the face, you don't respond with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? That's not normal for us. And so when we do respond that way, that's proof that the gospel has changed you and made you into a new creation, right? This is so important that we understand this, that we as believers should live a radically different life from the world around us. Not just in our external morality, but even how we deal with persecution. That's the point that Peter's making. Peter says that people will see your good works. They'll see how you respond to persecution and they'll be changed by it. In other words, God will use your trials and persecution for his glory. We see the same theme play out in Genesis 50 with Joseph. His brothers beat him. Sell him into slavery. He endured so much hardship because of that. And finally, he sees how God used that persecution for his own glory. Genesis 50, verse 20 says, You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. What a perspective. What if Christians had that perspective? 
What if when we are persecuted for our beliefs, we're persecuted for our faith, we responded with that kind of mindset? Listen, people are going to plan evil against you. But don't return that evil with more evil. See the bigger picture. When we, live in a, when we live a godly life by warring against the sins of the flesh and walking in the fruit of the Spirit, God can use our persecution to draw others to himself. And that should be our heart and our focus and our passion as believers. Not living for our own selves and living in the comfort of, man, I want my life to be comfortable and easy and I want to live all of the things that, that, that are just so comfortable in this life. I want to engage myself in the culture. No, that's not the call of the believer. Your call is to live a radically different life. Your call in life is to live so that others can, become, others can come to know Christ. That is the purpose of your life. Even in your persecution, that is what that's for, is to point other people to Jesus. And God can use that. He says that. The kingdom is our priority. Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God. Above all other things in this life, above the comfort of your own self, above the security of your own self and your family, seek first the kingdom of God, and then all of these other things will be added to you. We see an example of that going on right now in Afghanistan, right? The church in Afghanistan is being persecuted for their faith. People are going around looking at their phones, and if the Bible app's on there, they're, they're killing them and persecuting their families. And yet the church is remaining strong in that. They're still standing firm in that reality. Why? Because they see the bigger picture. They see that God can use that persecution for his glory and call people to himself. What a perspective. What if the American church got that? What if instead of putting up our fists every time someone calls us a name, we responded with grace and mercy? Peter says we kill the desires of the flesh so that when the accusations come our testimony speaks for itself and points others to christ the next point is godly submission look at verse 13 it says submit to every human authority because of the lord whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors as those sent out by him to punish those who do what is evil and to praise those who do what is good all right so this is the part where things get a little more difficult the previous parts i feel like most of us probably on the same page Right? Your identity is in Christ. That's awesome. Good news. We all like that. Right? You should live and deal with sin. Abstain from the sinful desires. Most of us can agree with that. Here's where things get, here's where things get hard. When you view this passage in its biblical and historical context, this is not an easy message, especially for 21st century Americans. We are a culture that rejects authority. We don't like people telling us what to do. Our, our nation was even founded on that principle, right? Let me live my life the way I want to live with no government oversight. And listen, I can relate. I don't, I don't like being told what to do either. Especially when I don't agree with the rule, right? It's, it's one thing to be, to, to follow in under authority when we like the authority. It's another thing when we don't really like the authority, right? I don't like wearing a seatbelt. I think it's the dumbest thing in the world that that's a law. If I can ride around on a motorcycle without a helmet, but it's a law and I can get a ticket because I don't wear a seatbelt, that'll make sense to me. And I get the safety of a seatbelt and the importance of it, but just because it's a law and they're trying to tell me to do it, I'm thinking, I'm not wearing a seatbelt. Right? Registration stickers, I've already told you guys about my hatred for registration stickers. Income taxes, taxation without representation, Right? Now, I'm inherently a rule follower, but even still, 
There's just something in me that wants to rebel against authority when I think the rule is dumb. But Peter is telling us as Christians to submit. Now, chew on that for a second. Submit. Some of you right now, the hairs on the back of your neck are standing up just by me saying that word. Submit. To who? He says, every human authority. Boy, Peter really clears it up, right? He doesn't really leave us any room to try to dance ourselves out of that situation. No, he says, every human authority. It's not just good and honest authorities. It's every human authority. Good, bad, or ugly, your role as a Christian is to submit. Why? Because of the Lord. Peter says that's the motivation. We submit because we trust that it's God who is really in control. Paul speaks to this when he's writing to the Romans in Romans 13 verse 1. He says, let everyone submit to the governing authorities since there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then, the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command. And those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. Now this this is easy when we think the human authority reflects the character and beliefs that we agree with, right? It's easy to submit to the governing authorities when we like what they say, but we're not called to only submit to those human authorities. Peter says every human authority, all of it. Peter says that we submit as if we're submitting to God, that if we resist the governing authorities, we're opposing God himself. This is so hard to hear. But at its root, this is a faith thing. I get that we don't always have leadership in play that we trust to lead us well, but Peter and Paul both tell us that our submission isn't based on our trust in the leaders themselves, but in God who instituted the authorities that exist. Whether you like it or not, our current administration was given authority by God and we submit. Not based on our faith in the administration, but based on our faith in God. The same was true about the previous administration and the administration before that and so on. Now we can hear that and think, but, but maybe Peter and Paul didn't really know like how bad things were going to get. Maybe they didn't realize how bad the current administration would be. They're writing way back then. Things should have changed. Well, let me clear that up for you a little bit. Peter specifically mentions the Roman emperor. He's talking about Nero. That dude was crazy. Go back and read your history book. That Nero was certifiably insane. He was terribly self-absorbed, and he only cared about gaining and maintaining power. Let me just give you a few examples of how bad of a human authority he was. He murdered his own mother and his stepmother, because he was just a little afraid that they might try to overtake the throne. A lot of historians believe that he set Rome on fire. Nero started the fire. Sorry. He instituted sanctioned persecution of Christians. Listen, listen to this. I didn't, when we met a few weeks ago, the kids were in here, so I don't want to get into a lot of detail, uh, but I'm going I'm to give you a, a little bit of what, what happened here. He fed Christians to dogs. He nailed them to crosses. He even dipped them in oil, lit them on fire to light the gardens in his palace. He basically made Christians human candles so that his gardens would be lit up at night. That's how sick this dude was. 
So when Peter says to submit to every human authority, this is who he's talking about. He's telling these Christians to submit to this craziness. Can you imagine how difficult that would have been to hear at this point in time? Can you imagine how hard it would have been for these Christians to hear, submit to the emperor? That's crazy. Can you imagine the hatred and the disdain this church would have had for Nero? We're not talking about a good moral leader here. We're talking about a self-absorbed pagan that murders for personal gain. That's who we're talking about. And Peter says, submit. Why? Why would we submit to such craziness? Because of the Lord. That's why. Because God said it, and we are his followers. We've surrendered ourselves to him, and that's what it really means to surrender. Right? It doesn't just mean to come to church and say, you've heard me say this over and over again, but this is where really, we really get held to the fire, right? Because submission is a lot harder than just walking this 21st century American Christian church life. It's a lot harder than coming to church and wearing a Christian shirt and, and, and going to a quick class and all of that. The Christian life is so much more difficult than that because it really means that you fully surrender to what God wants even when you don't like it. Even when it's difficult. Even when it makes no sense at all. That's when faith comes into play. If your faith isn't strong enough to get your, yourself to church on a Sunday morning at 9.30 for Bible study, it's never going to be strong enough to really accept this. It's never going to be strong enough to do what the Afghan church is doing right now. The Christian life is so much more and what this 21st century American evangelical Christian culture has, has told us it is. Amen. Just read the book. Just read the book. That's the problem. Nobody's reading the book. You're doing all these cheesy little Bible studies from all these prosperity gospel teachers on the Bible app, but you're not really reading the book. Read the book. Read the hard stuff. To rebel against that is to rebel against God himself. This is a true test of faith. When you read stuff like this, you've got to really decide if you believe God's will is perfect and good. You've got to really decide if, you're, if you've bought into this book. This is an all-in or nothing kind of thing. I told you that a couple weeks ago. You can't have your one foot in and one foot out. You can't be like, all right, I'm going to follow God and do the church thing, but oh, man, that stuff, that's heavy. I'm not doing that. When the government comes and tries to take my stuff away, no. I'll shoot them in the head. I'm just telling you. Let's, let's be honest. That's, that's the Southeast Texas mantra. But that's antithetical towards what the Bible tells us to be as Christians. I'm just telling you. You can't pick and choose which parts of this you're going to surrender to and which parts you're not. That's not how this works. Is he Lord or is he not? So given that reality, I think it's important that we evaluate our hearts with this. If there's a spirit of rebellion welling up in your heart now, and let's be honest, some of us, that's probably true. Right now, you're hearing this and you're like, I don't think about it, I don't know what I'm buying into that. That's a rebellion against God's word. Something that we testify is inerrant and that we value above all else. And if that's true, if it's really inerrant and we value it above all else, then even when it tells us to do something difficult, we still choose obedience. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. That's what it means to be a Christian. 
is that Jesus is Lord over all things. And as difficult of a message as that is to hear, this next one just makes it worse. A little word of encouragement. <laughs> he goes on, he talks about godly honor. Look at verse 15. He says, for it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. Submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. Honor everyone. Let the brothers and sisters, uh, love the brothers and sisters. Fear God. And listen to this. Honor the emperor. Honor the emperor. So Peter takes this thing a step further. Not only are we supposed to submit, but we're also, also supposed to give honor. That means that we can't just submit for the sake of submission. Peter says your heart and motive matter as well. It means you, you can't just begrudgingly say, all right, God, you said to do this, I'm going to do it. No, you've got to honor the guy. When I was a teenager, I remember my dad being very much an authoritarian in our house. and I, I was scared. I'm still scared of him, if I'm honest. Um, I would never bow up to him because he'd kill me. Um, and I remember him telling me to do things, and I would do them because I was fearful of the repercussions. I didn't want to die. But when he would walk away, I'd be like, idiot. <laughs> right? He'd turn back in the, around the room, and I'm acting like a fool, and I'm, I'm going, right? That was totally me. I, did, I, I would do what he said because he said to do it, but I was not giving honor. My, my heart, my mind, my actions were not giving honor. Peter says our hearts matter. And, and again, this, let's put this in the proper historical context. Peter's telling these Christians to honor the emperor, to give respect and honor to a man who absolutely didn't deserve it. Now this, this is the absolute opposite of our cultural understanding that respect and honor are earned, right? We, we feel like that innately in our bones, that respect and honor should be earned. No, Peter's saying that as a Christian, you honor people even though they don't deserve it. You honor the, the governing authorities. You honor the, the earthly authorities because God says to, even though they don't deserve it, not based on their merit, but because God says to honor them. For the Christian, respect and honor is given because Jesus is Lord. So even if someone is our enemy, we choose to love and pray for them. I mean, I've told you I like to just keep it real with you, so let's keep it real. This is not true for the evangelical church today. You know how I know it's not true? Because I'm friends with you on Facebook. <laughs> I've seen some of the stuff you've shared. Let's just be honest. Right? We're failing at this. If our guy's not in the office, we get nasty. And here's the reality. Some of us, let me just, this is a side note. I don't even have this in my notes, but let me just kind of say this. Some of you need to delete that app off your phone. You just need to delete it. Because you, you don't have enough self-control at this point in your sanctification process to not, not abstain. So just delete the app. Get rid of it. Jesus talks about this in Matthew 5, verse 43. He says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that, so that you may be children of the Father in heaven. This is what it looks like to follow after Jesus. This is what it looks like to be a Christian. 
For he causes his son to rise on the evil and to the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what what reward will you have? What good is it to love people that love you? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? He's basically saying the most despicable people in society, they love people that love them. That's easy. He says, if you only greet your brothers and sisters, what, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Again, there's this idea that we as Christians are supposed to be set apart. We're called out of the world to live differently. So if we're just doing all the stuff the world does, who cares? He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Be holy, therefore, as your heavenly Father is holy. Be set apart. Be different. This is what godliness looks like. It looks like loving and praying for those that persecute us. Peter says that it's God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. What's good? In context of what we've been talking about, good is submitting and honoring human authorities, even the bad ones. And so when we submit and honor leaders we disagree with, we show people that we're different. Now, I'm not saying you got to go on Facebook and, and lie and talk up somebody that, that, that you think is an idiot. But what I am telling you is don't go post the stuff and saying he is an idiot. Respond with honor and respect, even for the leaders we disagree with. That's how we show people we're different. We silence the naysayers by actually living like the gospel has made us into new creations. Peter says, submit as free people, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but as God's slaves. What, what does that mean? Christians are free people in Christ. We aren't enslaved to a workspace relationship with God. And our identity isn't determined by any human government. If our government started arresting Christians tomorrow, that doesn't change who we are in Christ. That doesn't change our future. They can say or do whatever they want, but in the end, we're just strangers and aliens in this world anyway. We're just passing through. This isn't our home. Our hope isn't in the man-made systems that govern our world. Our hope is in God and the glory we've been promised to receive at the completion of our salvation. Peter doesn't want this church to think of submission to human authorities as any kind of slavery. We're not enslaved to the human authorities. We We should submit to human authority out of our own free will. We should submit to human authority not out of a loyalty to governments or men, but out of an obedience and loyalty to God. That's your motive. Remind yourself about that as we go through this, because this is a hard message to hear. Remind yourself that your submission, your honor, is 100% based on who God is and who you've surrendered to. Not based on the authorities of men, not based on their merit, but based on who God is and the fact that you've made him Lord over your life. And so as his slaves, we follow his command to submit to human laws. God is the one we are serving in our submission to any other authority. That makes us truly free. Believers are not people who submit to governments out of cowering fear or even earthly loyalty. We submit because our God tells us to, and we're his people set aside for his purposes. So let me clear something up. If a a human authority commands you to do something that goes against the word of God, then of course, civil disobedience becomes necessary. I feel like that should be able to go unsaid, but I also feel like I'm going to have someone come up to me later and be like, well, what if the government tells us to do something that's against God's will? I know that's coming, so let me just clear that up for you. We, we, we obviously see examples of this with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
We see it in the New Testament many times. But one example is Peter and John refusing to stop preaching the gospel, right? If Acts 4.19, Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide, for we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. So we see Peter and John, they're like, no, you're telling me to do something that God said to do. And uh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow after God. I'm going to do what he says first. So we submit to the human authorities always, except when they command us to disobey the word of God, of course. But here's, again, this is in my notes, but I think sometimes we like to take things out of context and use scripture to excuse us for not following the governing authorities. Don't do that. Don't do that. Put things in context. There are things that we're called to do. We're called to meet as a church. So even if somebody comes in here and tries to shut us down, we're going to meet. We're called to preach the gospel we're not going to stop that. Even if someone threatens to kill us, we're going to continue to preach the gospel. All those things are in Scripture. They're clear commands. So, of course, when God tells us to do something, we're going to follow after his leadership first over the governing authorities. But in all of the things, we submit. We submit. I think this is a difficult topic for Christians today because so many of us have put our identity in our politics. How do I know that? Because when someone attacks our politics, we respond like they're attacking us personally. You feel like someone's attacking you. And that's not your identity. Why do you care? If that's the feeling you get, then your identity is in your politics. That's true about you. <laughs> What's funny is even now, some of you right now, you're trying to figure out, is he conservative or is he a Democrat? <laughs> right? Some of you right now are trying to place me in one of those camps. And I'm telling you, the point is, that's not our identity. That's not our identity. Stop trying to force people in one camp or the other. Now, of course... <laughs> Of course, there are principles with politics and things that we shouldn't support and all that. I get that. But that's based on our Christian identity, not on our political identity. Peter says, remember. Remember that you're a stranger and an exile. This is not your home. Our hope is in someone far greater than any man-made institution. Our hope is in the resurrected Christ. And I think many Christians have a misplaced hope. I heard a pastor say once, if something robs your joy, that thing has your hope. So if politics rob your joy, then your hope is in politics. If you can log into Facebook and see all the stuff that's going on around us and think that the guy in office right now is an idiot and he's going to ruin the world, then your hope is in that position. That's where you've placed your hope. Because in your mind, you really, you really believe that he has the power to, to deviate from the plan of God. Well, Romans just told us that God's the one who placed him there. And God is sovereign over all things. Don't let those things affect your joy. 
Don't put your hope in those things. If your joy is being robbed by the current political spectrum, then that's where your hope is in a man-made, flawed, broken, sinful system. Don't put your hope in that. Don't let that rob your joy. (laughs) Your hope should be in the resurrected Christ. That's where our hope is. That's where our identity is. Stop engaging in the conflicts of this world and warring against, and start warring against the desires of your own flesh. That should be your focus. Listen, we don't live in a man-made world. We live in a spiritual world, right? As believers, we believe in the spiritual realm. That's where we live. That's where our focus is. So lift your focus above all this junk that's going on and focus on what really matters. Warring against the sinful desires of your heart and proclaiming Jesus to the world around us. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. Everything else can burn up and go to hell. I mean, it, 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 it would change nothing for us as believers because our identity and our hope is in the resurrected Christ. And we believe in a future. Regardless of what happens here, we believe in a future. There's a future coming for all believers where we're going to be in the presence of God for eternity. So don't, don't get wrapped up in all this. This doesn't matter. When you start feeling your blood pressure going up and you're scrolling through Facebook and you see someone post something that you don't agree with, woosah, like just a deep breath. <sighs> it's okay, it's going to be okay. Just ignore it and scroll past. Or, like I said, some of you, you don't have the self-control yet, just delete the button. This is where our attention should be. Why? Because we're more concerned with being authentic in our faith and obedience so that we can point people to Jesus. Submitting to every human authority, even when they're self-absorbed pagans, is the command. Not only that, but giving honor. Not because we feel enslaved to the human authority, but because we've chosen to surrender our lives to Jesus. And let me be transparent with you. I have failed at this. I've engaged in the futility of a Facebook political argument a time or two myself. I've taken things personally because I allowed my identity to get wrapped up in man-made institutions. I've allowed politics and institutions to rob my joy. I have failed at this just like you have failed at this. But here's the best part of this whole book is that we serve a God of grace and mercy. And when we fail... He offers forgiveness. And so this morning, if this is something that you failed at as well, and you're feeling convicted, that's a good thing. Conviction is an opportunity to start new. It means the Holy Spirit is sanctifying you and changing you. So what's the takeaway this morning? Remember who you are, a son or daughter of the King. Remember what you're here for, to point others towards him with your words and with your life. And submit to and honor human authorities because Jesus is Lord and trust that even when you don't understand, even when you don't understand the why, trust that God is sovereign and that he has appointed the government authorities for his purposes. Would you stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? kind of peace and joy that we're talking about is only possible in a relationship with Christ. And so this morning, if if you don't have a relationship with Christ, if you never surrendered to him as Lord, then my hope and my prayer is that the Holy Spirit is revealing the truth of the gospel to you this morning and that 
you would be willing to surrender to that. And if that's true about you, then here in a moment, the band's going to sing. There's going to be a couple of people standing down here in front. They would love to have a conversation with you about what that really means to give your life to Jesus. If you're like, I'm not coming down front, that's okay. There's a card in front of you. Fill it out. Drop it in one of these boxes on the way out, and we'll call you this week to talk about it. There's no no other important decision, no more important decision than giving your life to Christ, surrendering your life to him. Now, this message, I understand, was more so for the church, right? for, the, for, for believers. Again, this morning, if you're hearing this and there's all this rebellion well up in your heart, you're mad at me, that's okay, I can take that. I would, I would hope that you'd be willing to maybe have a conversation instead of just going home angry. But again, my hope and my prayer is if you disagree, that you would disagree based on the truth of this book and not your own feelings. Because there is no other truth. This is the truth. We believe that. I believe that wholeheartedly. I've given myself to that. And I hope that's true about you as well. That you really believe this book is true. And given the historical and biblical context of what we just read, I just don't see it any other way. Submission to authorities is all over the Bible. And so if this is something you struggle with, the Holy Spirit's revealing that to you, and maybe now you're feeling a little convicted about it. I was convicted about it this week as I was studying. But I would challenge you in this moment to give even this area of your life to God. You know in your heart there, <laughs> there's, there's this fleshly side of you that starts to really get angry and stressed and worried about the things of this world. And I would challenge you to start making some choices to feed the spirit more than you feed the flesh. Deal with the sin in your heart ruthlessly. Maybe get rid of that Facebook app. Maybe stop looking at the news. Turn the TV off. Don't let those things rob your joy. Submit to the governing authorities because of the Lord. So in this moment, the Holy Spirit's convicting you that my hope and my prayer is that you'll surrender that to him, that you'll ask for forgiveness, repent of that, and allow him to be the Lord of your life even in this area. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your grace and mercy. God, we... flawed, sinful people. And sometimes our motives are impure. Sometimes we we drift from the truth of your word and we start acting based on feelings. But God, we thank you for the fact that you, you offer forgiveness, that your spirit convicts us when we're wrong. And that conviction leads to a deeper relationship with you because we can repent Repentance opens the door for a deeper relationship with you, God. We pray that that you would change us, God. We pray that more than anything else, that, that your word would speak to our hearts and that we would be willing to surrender to its truth. God, we pray that you would be glorified during this time of invitation. If your spirit is moving in the hearts of people this morning, my prayer is that, that 
we would all respond with surrender. Shall we pray? Amen. Thank you so much for listening. And we always welcome you to join us at Fellowship Church in Nederland, Texas, where we gather, grow, give, and go.